0: I'm about to do something you should never do when you publicly speak. Always make sure you have all your credits. If people want to. That movie, Amazing Grace, is about the passing of anti-slavery law in England. And it was John Newton, and I forget the gentleman's name, who helped forge that legislation through England. And I forget his name. Robler? Yes. Robeforce was his name? Yes. So that's... Uh, uh, what that song's about. And that movie's called Amazing Grace. It tells a story about where facing immense odds to pass anti-slavery uh, law there in England long before we did here in the United States. If you have your Bibles with you, please open to Luke chapter 15. We're starting in the 11th verse of Luke 15. And we'll read the passage first this morning before we get started. This is the third parable that Jesus tells in this chapter Luke 15 verse 11 and he said referring to Jesus a man had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the estate that falls to me so he divided his wealth between them and not many days later the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went out and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it. and Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he had received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look. For so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you've killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, "Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours." But we had, but when we had, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and now has been found. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word. Push every other thought out of our minds and out of our hearts that we may hear clearly and distinctly your voice. Christ's name we pray. Amen. How much do you value or how much worth, or how significant is human life? And when you think of that question, is it even possible to put a monetary value on human life? According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, there is approximately one five million people arrested in a given year driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. That means about one out of every 12 licensed drivers are arrested each year for a DUI. Even though we hear commercials after commercials after commercials, if you do drink, please do not drive. And we see all the horrific accidents, and now texting is up there with it. But yet, we still engage in it. According to the Centers for Disease Control, there are 219 abortions per 1,000 lives births. That averages about 2,899 per hour. Excuse me. Per day, per hour is 120. That means one in every 30 seconds. According to Gun Violence Archive, a nonprofit research group, as of September 24th of this year, there have been 334 mass shootings. 377, uh, excuse me, 377 fatalities. Yeah, with the injured, approximately 1,684 victims. According to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, on average, 129 people die from suicide. million people in this country attempt suicide every year. According to uh, U.S. Next Generation Science Standards, that's been adopted in most of our schools around the country as part of the science curriculum. And in that curriculum, evolution is a featured uh, curriculum in that. So it's taught. That means about 100% of our school children going to school are being taught the theory of evolution. Although it's still a theory by scientific standards, they can't prove it by science, it is still a theory. And you're thinking, Tim, what does this have to do with anything we just read about, the prodigal son? This is it. We have, and we currently are, devaluing human life. We keep sheeping it down that human life doesn't mean anything. When you teach people that you're a product of some cosmic goo somewhere. And you see all these things being played out. Why do you think there's so many shootings? Our society is the fact that it doesn't really matter anymore. And at the heart of the gospel, it tells you and I that we have worth, that we have value. John three sixteen: for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever, let's say that one more time, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when I look at this parable in context, you go back to verse one, you see it, the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. They were complaining about Jesus. What was he doing? He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, people whose society will look at and say they don't matter. They're not one of us. We're more righteous and dignified than them. We have to separate ourselves from them. We have to remember, dearly beloved, that God loves and cherishes everybody. And that human life has so much value that we can't even comprehend it when we look at the cross. I want you to keep that in mind as we move forward. This parable is often called the prodigal son, but it's really about two different reactions. That word prodigal can mean uh, extravagant, but there's two reactions going on here. You have this father who reacts a lot differently than the older brother. Perhaps you could call the first reaction the forgiving father and the second one the begrudging brother. God's love and forgiveness are so extravagant that he welcomes us back with rejoicing and honor. When we can be restored and we're restored back to a light relationship with him, no matter how long we've been gone, no matter how much we messed up, we can always go back, repent And find those welcome arms. Because God's love forgives, but it also restores. Now, I need to make this qualifier. Don't get into that mode where I can always ask for forgiveness and get it. Paul makes it, should we send more, the grace abound more? Forbid it not. It's a very dangerous ground to walk on because one day that grace is going to stop when Jesus Christ comes again. There's two things. Well, there's more than two things, but there's two great things that none of us in this room, the present, I don't care who it is, can do anything about. Number one, we do not know when Christ is coming again. We can look around and see stuff going, this must be getting close, but we don't know the exact time or date that's going to happen. And number two, we don't know when we're physically going to die. We don't know when our death on this earth is going to happen. Two great variables. Now, we can take precautions and try to preserve our life, but bottom line... God knows how many days we have. So look at the first one. Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, the older son will receive two thirds and the younger son about one third. You see that Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. But the younger son will receive a little less if there was daughters because the daughter would need money for her dowry when she got married. Now, it wasn't advisable to give this up front as a parent, because if you give all your resources away as you grow old, there was no one to take care of you. You could fall at the mercy of whoever. See, back in those days, they didn't have welfare programs and all that. And by him going to him and asking that, basically what he's saying in that culture, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want the estate that belongs to me. And what does the father do? The father divides it up. And you read in the text that not many days later, the younger son had gathered everything. In other words, he is cashing his inheritance in for cash. And he went on to a distant land and squandered his estate. Now, that's very important to pay attention to that detail. He didn't enter into a business venture or invest the money. He went out blowing the money. He squandered it. Anything he wanted by loose living, literally living recklessly. And the older brother kind of gives us a description of this in verse 30, doesn't he? Look at verse 30 when he says, The son of yours who has devoured your wealth with what? Prostitutes. So we're get a, getting a picture here that what he went out to spend his money on when he went out and partied and had a great time and just blew all his inheritance we find out that when he had spent everything, guess what happens now? A severe famine. And I don't think I can really appreciate what the text means when it says not just a famine, but a severe famine. I mean, there's nothing to eat. Could you imagine going to Walmart or to Alberson's or to Tom, wherever you go shopping, and nothing would be on the shelves at all? You couldn't grow anything. Livestock are dying. People are going hungry. Can we imagine such a place like that, because here in America we're really blessed with food. We throw more food away in this country than some people eat around the world. But imagine this, he has blown all his money, now there's a fear, of famine in the land. He he's getting hungry. Now he has a problem. The sin that he did by taking the money and blowing it, first of all, getting it from his father, now has produced a circumstance that puts him in dire straits. Look what he does. The text tells us that he hires himself out to a citizen to feed swine, to feed pigs. Another important detail we shouldn't glance over. He was a Jew. And now he's feeding pigs. And for a Jew, a pig was an unclean animal. So now he finds himself in a dishonorable occupation, doing something he should never do. As a Jew, he finds himself not only does he, he finds himself doing that. What does the text tells us? He, he wished he had the same thing to eat. He wished he could have something to eat that the pigs have. but no one is giving anything to him. Picture that, desire, that dire circumstance this son has put himself into. We don't know how much money he had to start with, but he went out and he blew it. He disrespected his dad, brought dishonor upon the family, and now he's doing it again. He's out there taking care of pigs, and he's hungry. It's it's funny. It's not funny, ha-ha. More ironic, funny, that sin looks so enticing, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it. Sin looks good, doesn't it, at first glance. Yeah, I can do that. It's going to be lots of fun. But sin has this black hole effect that it starts just sucking you down. And you go down and you go down and you go down until you end up in a circumstance. Look up going, how did this happen? You go back to creation. What's the first sin that was committed? Well, Eve took over the fruit and gave it to Adam. So you have Adam and Eve. And they they play that blame game that we see going on in our nation even now. I didn't do it. It was his fault. His, and you see that happening. And you go from something like that. That We as humans, we classify sins though, don't we? I've never killed anybody, but you lied. Well, yeah, that's not a big enough sin. It's, yeah, it is. Sin is sin. But you see that happening. And what happens in this later on, a few chapters later, you go from a lie and deception to the first murder. Not just anybody, but a brother kills his own brother when Cain killed Abel. So we got to be careful how quickly sin looks enticing and looks so good. It can't do any harm, but in reality, it's going to take us somewhere that we really don't want to go. I'm still learning this principle, dearly beloved, but it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks this morning. God is not trying to be... A taskmaster with me and say, don't do this, don't don't have any fun. God knows if I open certain doors, I start down that path, it's going to be a slippery slope that I'm going to slide to and cause me more pain and heartache. And God says, Tim, instead of messing with that, just leave it alone. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard problem learning that lesson until I'm at the bottom of that. I'm going up, God, where'd you go? God said, I didn't go anywhere, Tim, you left me. So you see this happening with this young man. He thought he was going to go out to have a good time, and now he finds himself hungry. And look, at, it says, "But when he came to his senses," important phrase here. It's a Hebrew Aramaic expression for repented. It's not only a mental process causing him to think clearly, but it's also a moral renewal, a repentance. Hey. No, only, like, i, I got to quit thinking this way. In fact, i got to do something about my behavior. I wish I'd never done this. Is there a true repenting? It's not like, I'm sorry, i got to get out of here. And he realizes that he would be better off as a slave of his father than to sit there and starve it. That would be foolish. Notice he's not thinking about going back and being a son again. He's gonna, if God, if father would just take me back as a slave. I'll do that. At least I'll be feeding myself. I'll be a lot better off than now. So he's thinking about this, right? He's rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I believe Jesus is using this as a picture of the humility of one who comes and places his life in God's hands. The son knows there's nothing I can do. All I can do is go to him and confess, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. See how he's placing his whole circumstance into the father's hands, realizing there's nothing he can do. Tells his father to make me as one of your hired men. That reveals his true repentance because he knows he has no grounds to stand upon to be treated like a son. Now, keep that in mind. Here in a minute, we'll look at the older son's reaction. But look what the text says. While he was a st- still a long way off, his father saw him. Not only did he see him, what does the text say? Felt compassion. Now, this father could sit down. Oh, so he could be back here and say, You know what? He disrespected me, he dishonored me. He needs to come to me first, straighten this thing out. That's not what the father does, does he? He sees him and he comes down, he runs out to him, doesn't he? He hugs him, he kisses him. Hey, bring a robe, best robe, bring some sandals, give me a ring. You know that got attention of people in that community? Everybody knew what this guy had done, his son done to him. And yet here's this guy running to meet his son. The sandals. People, Servants didn't wear sandals. That was a luxury for for the family. The the, the ring being authority that he had as a son. And and the robe for special dignitaries that come to visit. So the father is letting his son now. I'm restoring you back. And look what the the son says. Father, I've, I've sinned against you. And in heaven. And what does the father say? Bring the fatted calf. Let's kill it and let's celebrate! What a reaction from a father who had every right to be angry and upset. Waiting for the son to come to him. It's amazing that the text tells us that as he saw him way off. That tells me that the the father was constantly looking out the window. Is my son coming home today? Is that him? Is he? Is day going to be the day? That anticipation that father must have had. That very thought that his his thoughts and his heart never stopped loving his son kept thinking about him day in and day out. Would this be the day that he comes home? I hope he's okay. I wish he'd come home. And some of you as parents in this room knows what that kind of feels like, don't you? I hope my child comes home. Child breaks curfew and you're looking, man, it's one o'clock. I hope she's okay. I hope she comes home. And when she comes home, you're happy, but then you have to be like you're mad. Don't you? That is a beautiful picture, dearly, beloved, of our loving Father. Oh, look, Tim's given his life to my son. He loves us. He forgives us and he restores us. God, I don't even, I'm not even worthy of myself. I'm not worthy. We talked about this in class this morning. That so great a love that I love that word once your translation uses it because it talks about this great love being poured out. He lavishes upon us that we'd be called Sons and daughters of God. That's why I can tell you and convicted with every fiber of my being I don't care what you've done this morning. There is forgiveness and restoration with God the Father. You can always come to Him and He will open His arms wide. We just sang a song about that Open Thy Arms of Love Wide. That's what He does. The Father restores the Son back. I don't know about you, the text doesn't tell us, but I have a feeling that there were some tears being shed in this moment. And a party erupts. He brings out the fatty. You gotta remember, meat back in those days was precious. You just don't go kill. I mean, meat didn't come that easy, and especially a fatty calf was being fed and bred for a specific, pers- uh, a specific purpose and I meaning He doesn't do it. And for him to do that, he, he is sharing the best that he has to say, let's celebrate that my lost son has come home. Now we shift gears. And a lot of times we like to stop right there and say, isn't the great, great love that God has for us? We all cheer, we clap, yeah, it makes us feel good. But sometimes we get about this next part, don't we? Now his older son... Was in the field. He was unaware of what has happened. He's been out in the field working all day. Taking care of his father's farm and vineyards and all that. He's out there all day long. And as he makes his way back to the house, what does he hear? Music and dancing. Well, what's going on? How come they're partying over there? That's my, my, my translation. <laughs> What's going on? Who's partying? So he asks the servant. And the servant tells him, your brother has come. Your father has filled the cat calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Not only does that mean healthy physically, but also spiritually as well. Hey, your, your son has come home. He's safe and he's sound. And your father is celebrating that fact. Did the, did the older son go in there and say, let's party together? What do you do? Look at the text. What does the text say? He became angry. Not willing to go in. His father even comes out and pleads with him. Your brother has come home. He's restored himself. So come back. Let's celebrate together. But his older brother is very angry, even, I would say, bitter. He wants nothing to do with his younger brother, even though he has returned. Maybe the work doubled up on him. He had to pick up some slack, and he was angry about that. While well, you're out here partying along and spending all the money doing God knows what, God knows who. I'm sitting here with Dad, plowing and taking care of everything. I hope you had a good time. I can see that being kind of expressed. But look what he says is his father in the text. Many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command. In all his years of faithful service, not once did the father throw a party for him. He would even slay a goat. So what he's really asking about here is about justice and fairness in his father's house. And the fourth remark... The force of the remark that he makes is almost that his loyalty to his father owes him something. Because of what he says, this son of yours. Why is it when we get mad, my wife's not here, I don't care if you tell her this. When she gets mad at my daughters, I walk in the house, what does she say? You know what your daughter did? But if they do something great, you know what my daughter did? Have you noticed that? You don't want to say a word, don't worry about it. But look what he says. He doesn't say, my brother, my, my brother who went out and blew all your money. He goes, this son of yours. How dare It It's almost like he's saying, how dare you even do this? I'm the one being here stuck beside you all this time. He's out there blowing his money on prostitutes. So he says that in verse 30. And you welcome him home. Now, before we get all over the older brother, how would you feel? If you were in his sandals. What would you do? See, the older son here, I believe, is pictured to the Pharisees and the, and the scribes, because these are all told at the same time together. And if you notice, when you look at chapter 15, each parable, the value of what's lost goes up. You start with livestock, which was important. Then you go to the lost coin, which ain't up even more. Now you're talking about someone's life. So you see the value go up. each show these Parables. And you see a picture here—the unwillingness of the Pharisees and the scribes here that started this whole thing off. Anyway, they felt like, "Hey, I, I'm not a class of culture. I'm a sinner. I keep God's law. I've never neglected a command. And yet, you want me to sit down and celebrate and have a good time with these tax collectors and sinners? No, thank you," is what they're saying. So, bear with me for the next. Few minutes, let us consider what would you do? What would I do if we were the older brother in this parable? Would you accept the sinner and celebrate, or would you be too worried about yourself to share in the joy of the return? Should we respond as the father calls the older son to do? Should pursue sinners and welcome them with joy when they return? And I think a lot of us would say yes. We intellectually agree with that. But let's dig this a little deeper. Because God's attitude is seen in the longing father, longing to embrace his departed son. He wants to keep him as a member of his family. He will not force him to stay home. His response when the younger son returns makes that clear. He was thinking about his son all along. He didn't keep him at the house. Try to force him. Okay, if that's what you want. His forgiveness is total and immediate. There are no grudges. The past pain has been washed away and the waves of joy at the son's return. Here's a warning that I find in the text. Being physically close or being in proximity of God, knowing God is is not the same thing as having a relationship with God. Put it to you this way. Years ago, we drove up to my mom and stepfather's place in Virginia when the girls were real little. We drove. Because when I was driving as a kid, dad never wanted to stop anywhere. You ever been traveling and say, okay, kids, find me a, I have to use the restroom, I have to get gas, let me know when you see a gas station. There's one. 100 miles later, there's one. Dad, please stop. So I made it a point to see some places I want to see as a kid. Anyway, we went up there on our way back. We went up to Maryland through the uh, Cumberland Gap and came down through West Virginia and Kentucky, beautiful part of the country. And we came through St. Louis. And we saw the St. Louis Arch. I had seen the St. Louis Arch on Monday Night Football. You know, it's in the background, no graphics. I'd never been there. And Tammy looked at me. I looked at her. I said, hey, you want to stop? Check it out. We'll never be this way again. She said, sure, let's stop. So we found our way over there. We got over where the St. Louis Arch is. And I remember standing there and just awe oh, how big it was. Things huge. I mean, you look at it like this. It goes way up. I forget how, how tall it is. And then underneath, there's all sorts of shops and places to eat. I did not know this. We went on and got our tickets and we went up. And then because the, it's an arch, there's a car you all have. It's kind of small. You have to sit there like this. And as you go up, instead of going like this, the car automatically moves back. So you stay kind of level. And when you get up there, I kid you not, in the middle of the arch, from about the pulpit, side of the pulpit here to about, about right here, I'm saying that's about how wide it is. And as you look down, there's nothing underneath you because there's an arch, and then all of a sudden you see this. Ooh, Tammy, it's moving. She said, stop it! <laughs> but here's my point. I could look and go up and do research on the St. Louis Arch to give you all the stats right here. Okay, that's nice. But it's nothing until you experience it for yourself. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? It's more than just a hole in the ground, isn't it? Pictures don't do it justice. It's something you have to experience for yourself. Bad illustration, but makes the point. People ask me about when I went in the Navy boot camp. I said, I can tell you what I experienced, but really, it's really a true experience boot camp. You have to do it for yourself. So have at it. But there are some things, no matter how well you try to describe them, you, you just can't get the full picture until you experience it for yourself. See, the Pharisees thought they knew God. Oh, well, they knew all the law. They could, they could quote it to you. And, of course, they added to the law to clarify it. Help, well, in their eyes, to clarify it. And they had people jumping through all these hoops and stuff to be right before God. But the reality is they didn't really know Him. And here's the danger, and please hear me. It can happen to me as your pastor. I get so used to this preparing sermons and preaching, I don't let really me stop to think about what really is at stake and what's really happening. I mean as a, to be an effective preacher, you have to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. the message has to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, and for that to happen, I have to preach about something that I have experienced. I can't up here and tell you about something that hasn't touched my life. I mean, that'd be like telling you, don't do what I do, do what I say. Well, that doesn't work. Have you, let me rephrase that. Do you long to experience God more than just a surface level? I mean, really just dive in deep. My wife and I have gone through some hard times, and most of you know about it. And I remember telling her, she goes, I, I shouldn't be angry at God. I said, baby, be angry at God. Tell him. He's big enough. He can take it. But whatever you do, don't cut off communication from God. Keep Tell him how you feel. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. And what do we do as human beings? We want isolate ourselves. And then we start singing pity songs about ourselves. Woe is me. No one. If we were around this room run this morning, everybody in this room has their own story. We have got to be careful as, as believers that we don't become like the older son. But here's another question. Are we willing to invest ourselves in supporting a person who has let us down in the past? To be safe, we'll keep our distance and put the person to the test. Someone who's hurt you and said things, they come to you and they've they repented and then they come to you. Are we going to forgive them and welcome them or are we going to stand back and say, well, I'll wait to see what happens? Uh, How many times oh boy has at the end of the The sermon, whoever's preaching, doesn't really matter to make the point. Maybe someone has a bad reputation, a lot of gossip, whatever the case may be, they come down forward and whoever thought, hmm, I wonder what they did. I'm not as bad as they are. And I'm just just (laughs) getting... It drives me crazy because I'm doing it too, that I'm always so quick to justify myself by the actions or inactions of somebody else, and that doesn't really matter, does it? Because here's it is, what I do. Jesus died for me. He risen again. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. What am I going to do with that knowledge? He's called me, set me aside to be a preacher of his gospel. What am I going to do with that? There are times that I, I thought about leaving, giving it up, but I can't. It's just, God won't let me. It just, it's like a burning in your heart. No matter how, how much you try to snuff it out, it just won't go out. See, I, 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 I know the truth, and the truth has set me free, and I can't really be quiet about it. Eventually, it's going to come out in me. Not I me mean, all at once, not all the time, but it's there. It's always there. Burning. And sometimes it gets those billows blown on it, and it becomes raging. Other times it, comes really, it just depends what's happening in my life, but it's always there. So my question to you is, First of all, have you come to God, not based on what you have done, what you haven't done, but basically come to him and say, Father, my life is in your hands. You're gracious, and I trust you. Here I am. Have you ever done that? I've done it. And to be honest with you, I was scared to death when I did it because I didn't know quite what was going to happen. But I did know this. I can trust Him. And church, we can trust them. We have a history with the Father. So have you done that? Are you... Do you really have, or do we as a church really have a longing, a deep burning for the lost? For the broken? For the people... That society will look at and say, they don't count. I'm going to end with this, and please look at me. You were made in the image of God. When you look at the creation story, everything else, He spoke into existence. But with man, the text tells us, He reached down with His hands, and with dust, He formed man, and then breathed into man the breath of life. That sets you apart from every other thing. Should we we take care of creation and be nice animals? Of course. Who did Jesus die for? He died for the dogs and the cats and for the elephants and giraffes. He died for mankind. Women and men. Quit listening to the enemy. Listen to the voice of your longing father who loves you with a love that will forgive you and restore you. But you have to be willing to take it. It's a gift. If Larry and Beth got a gift for me, they say, Tim, here's a gift. Well, for me to really enjoy that gift, I have to receive it. I say thank you and I take it. But if they have a gift and never take it, then how can I receive it? It takes your response. He's longing for it. He's pleading for it. Words escape me to try to describe to you the deep, intimate relationship he wants to have with each one of you. More than you can possibly ever imagine. What a privilege, what a honor. What a glorious thing that we've been given. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day we thank you for your love that's persistent, that's unrelenting, that forgives and restores. Father, I, I don't know exactly what's going on in each person's heart here this morning, but you do. May we hold nothing back from you. Father, it amazes me that in spite of myself and in spite of what I do, and what I say, Father, you still love me. There's nothing I can do, we can do to make you love us more or love us less. Father, your love is steadfast. It's so wide. It's so deep. We can't fully comprehend it, but we have experienced it. And Father, as a church, we want to experience the deep things of you. We want to learn more about you. We want to be more intimate with you as a body of believers. May your spirit continue to move in this place and may we respond in complete obedience to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.